Chapter Five of the Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Further Adventures of Robinson Crusoe by Daniel Defoe. Chapter Five: A Great Victory. It was five or six months after this before they heard any more of the savages. In which time our men were in hopes they had either forgot their former bad luck or given over hopes of better when on a sudden they were invaded with a most formidable fleet of no less than eight-and-twenty canoes full of savages armed with bows and arrows great clubs wooden swords and such like engines of war and they brought such numbers with them that in short it put all our people into the utmost consternation as they came on shore in the evening and at the easternmost side of the island our men had that night to consult and consider what to do in the first place knowing that their being entirely concealed was their only safety before and would be much more so now while the number of their enemies would be so great they resolved first of all to take down the huts which were built for the two englishmen and drive away their goats to the old cave because they supposed the savages would go directly thither as soon as it was day to play the old game over again though they did not now land within two leagues of it in the next place they drove away all the flocks of goats they had at the old bower as i called it which belonged to the spaniards and in short left as little appearance of inhabitants anywhere as was possible and the next morning early they posted themselves with all their force at the plantation of the two men to wait for their coming as they guessed so it happened these new invaders leaving their canoes at the east end of the island came ranging along the shore directly towards the place to the number of two hundred and fifty as near as our men could judge our army was but small indeed but that which was worse they had not arms for all their number the whole account it seems stood thus first as to men seventeen spaniards five englishmen old friday the three slaves taken with the women who proved very faithful and three other slaves who lived with the spaniards to arm these they had eleven muskets five pistols three fowling pieces five muskets or fowling pieces which were taken by me from the mutinous seamen whom i reduced two swords and three old halberds to their slaves they did not give either musket or fusee but they had each a halberd or a long staff like a quarter-staff with a great spike of iron fastened into each end of it and by his side a hatchet also every one of our men had a hatchet two of the women could not be prevailed upon but they would come into the fight and they had bows and arrows which the spaniards had taken from the savages when the first action happened which i have spoken of where the indians fought with one another and the women had hatchets too the chief spaniard whom i described so often commanded the whole and will atkins who though a dreadful fellow for wickedness was a most daring bold fellow commanded under him the savages came forward like lions and our men which was the worst of their fate had no advantage in their situation only that will atkins who now proved a most useful fellow with six men was planted just behind a small thicket of bushes as an advanced guard with orders to let the first of them pass by and then fire into the middle of them and as soon as he had fired to make his retreat as nimbly as he could round a part of the wood and so come in behind the spaniards where they stood 
having a thicket of trees before them. When the savages came on, they ran straggling about every way in heaps, out of all manner of order, and Will Atkins let about fifty of them pass by him. Then, seeing the rest come in a very thick throng, he orders three of his men to fire, having loaded their muskets with six or seven bullets apiece, about as big as large pistol bullets. How many they killed or wounded they knew not, but the consternation and surprise was inexpressible among the savages. They were frightened to the last degree to hear such a dreadful noise, and see their men killed, and others hurt, but see nobody that did it when, in the middle of their fright, Will Atkins and his other three let fly again among the thickest of them, and in less than a minute the first three, being loaded again, gave them a third volley. Had Will Atkins and his men retired immediately, as soon as they had fired, as they were ordered to do, or had the rest of the body been at hand to have poured in their shot continually, the savages had been effectually routed, for the terror that was among them came principally from this, that they were killed by the gods with thunder and lightning, and could see nobody that hurt them. But Will Atkins, staying to load again, discovered the cheat. Some of the savages who were at a distance spying them came upon them behind, and though Atkins and his men fired at them also two or three times, and killed above twenty, retiring as fast as they could, yet they wounded Atkins himself, and killed one of his fellow Englishmen with their arrows as they did afterwards one Spaniard, and one of the Indian slaves who came with the women. This slave was a most gallant fellow, and fought most desperately, killing five of them with his own hand, having no weapon but one of the armed staves and a hatchet. Our men being thus hard laid at, Atkins wounded, and two other men killed, retreated to a rising ground in the wood, and the Spaniards, after firing three volleys upon them, retreated also, for their number was so great, and they were so desperate, that though above fifty of them were killed, and more than as many wounded, yet they came on in the teeth of our men, fearless of danger, and shot their arrows like a cloud, and it was observed that their wounded men, who were not quite disabled, were made outrageous by their wounds, and fought like madmen. When our men retreated, they left the Spaniard and the Englishmen that were killed behind them, and the savages, when they came up to them, killed them over again in a wretched manner, breaking their arms, legs, and heads, with their clubs and wooden swords, like true savages. But finding our men were gone, they did not seem inclined to pursue them, but drew themselves up in a ring, which is, it seems, their custom, and shouted twice in token of their victory, after which they had the mortification to see several of their wounded men fall, dying with the mere loss of blood. The Spaniard governor, having drawn his little body up together upon a rising ground, Atkins, though he was wounded, would have had them march and charge again altogether at once, but the Spaniard replied, Signor Atkins, you see how their wounded men fight. Let them alone till morning. All the wounded men will be stiff and sore with their wounds, and faint with the loss of blood, and so we shall have the fewer to engage. This advice was good, but Will Atkins replied merrily, That is true, Signor, and so shall I, too, and that is the reason I would go on while I am warm. Well, Signor Atkins, says the Spaniard, you have behaved gallantly and done your part. We will fight for you if you cannot come on, but I think it best to stay till morning. So they waited. 
but as it was a clear moonlight night and they found the savages in great disorder about their dead and wounded men and a great noise and hurry among them where they lay they afterwards resolved to fall upon them in the night especially if they could come to give them but one more volley before they were discovered which they had a fair opportunity to do for one of the englishmen in whose quarter it was where the fight began led them round between the woods and the seaside westward and then turning short south they came so near where the thickest of them lay that before they were seen or heard eight of them fired in among them and did dreadful execution upon them in half a minute more eight others fired after them pouring in their small shot in such a quantity that abundance were killed and wounded and all this while they were not able to see who hurt them or which way to fly the spaniards charged again with the utmost expedition and then divided themselves into three bodies and resolved to fall in among them all together they had in each body eight persons that is to say twenty-two men and the two women who by the way fought desperately they divided the firearms equally in each party as well as the halberds and staves they would have had the women keep back but they said they were resolved to die with their husbands having thus formed their little army they marched out from among the trees and came up to the teeth of the enemy shouting and hallooing as loud as they could the savages stood all together but were in the utmost confusion hearing the noise of our men shouting from three quarters together they would have fought if they had seen us for as soon as we came near enough to be seen some arrows were shot and poor old friday was wounded though not dangerously but our men gave them no time but running up to them fired among them three ways and then fell in with the butt ends of their muskets their swords armed staves and hatchets and laid about them so well that in a word they set up a dismal screaming and howling flying to save their lives which way soever they could our men were tired with the execution and killed or mortally wounded in the two fights about one hundred and eighty of them the rest being frightened out of their wits scoured through the woods and over the hills with all the speed that fear and nimble feet could help them to and as we did not trouble ourselves much to pursue them they got all together to the seaside where they landed and where their canoes lay but their disaster was not at an end yet for it blew a terrible storm of wind that evening from the sea so that it was impossible for them to go off nay the storm continuing all night when the tide came up their canoes were most of them driven by the surge of the sea so high upon the shore that it required infinite toil to get them off and some of them were even dashed to pieces against the beach our men though glad of their victory yet got little rest that night but having refreshed themselves as well as they could they resolved to march to that part of the island where the savages were fled and see what posture they were in this necessarily led them over the place where the fight had been and where they found several of the poor creatures not quite dead and yet past recovering life a sight disagreeable enough to generous minds for a truly great man though obliged by the law of battle to destroy his enemy takes no delight in his misery however there was no need to give any orders in this case for their own savages who were their servants dispatched these poor creatures with their hatchets 
at length they came in view of the place where the more miserable remains of the savages army lay where there appeared about a hundred still their posture was generally sitting upon the ground with their knees up towards their mouth and the head put between the two hands leaning down upon the knees when our men came within two musket shots of them the spaniard governor ordered two muskets to be fired without ball to alarm them this he did that by their countenance he might know what to expect whether they were still in heart to fight or were so heartily beaten as to be discouraged and so he might manage accordingly this stratagem took for as soon as the savages heard the first gun and saw the flash of the second they started up upon their feet in the greatest consternation imaginable and as our men advanced swiftly towards them they all ran screaming and yelling away with a kind of howling noise which our men did not understand and had never heard before and thus they ran up the hills into the country at first our men had much rather the weather had been calm and they had all gone away to sea but they did not then consider that this might probably have been the occasion of their coming again in such multitudes as not to be resisted or at least to come so many and so often as would quite desolate the island and starve them will atkins therefore who notwithstanding his wound kept always with them proved the best counsellor in this case his advice was to take the advantage that offered and step in between them and their boats and so deprive them of the capacity of ever returning any more to plague the island they consulted long about this and some were against it for fear of making the wretches fly to the woods and live there desperate and so they should have them to hunt like wild beasts be afraid to stir about their business and have their plantations continually rifled all their tame goats destroyed and in short be reduced to a life of continual distress will atkins told them they had better have to do with a hundred men than with a hundred nations that as they must destroy their boats so they must destroy the men or be all of them destroyed themselves in a word he showed them the necessity of it so plainly that they all came into it so they went to work immediately with the boats and getting some dry wood together from a dead tree they tried to set some of them on fire but they were so wet that they would not burn however the fire so burned the upper part that it soon made them unfit for use at sea when the indians saw what they were about some of them came running out of the woods and coming as near as they could to our men kneeled down and cried oa oa waramokoa and some other words of their language which none of the others understood anything of but as they made pitiful gestures and strange noises it was easy to understand they begged to have their boats spared and that they would be gone and never come there again but our men were now satisfied that they had no way to preserve themselves or to save their colony but effectually to prevent any of these people from ever going home again depending upon this that if even so much as one of them got back into their country to tell the story the colony was undone so that letting them know that they should not have any mercy they fell to work with their canoes and destroyed every one that the storm had not destroyed before at the sight of which the savages raised a hideous cry in the woods which our people heard plain enough after which they ran about the island like distracted men so that in a word our men did not really know what at first to do with them 
nor did the spaniards with all their prudence consider that while they made those people thus desperate they ought to have kept a good guard at the same time upon their plantations for though it is true they had driven away their cattle and the indians did not find out their main retreat i mean my old castle at the hill nor the cave in the valley yet they found out my plantation at the bower and pulled it all to pieces and all the fences and planting about it trod all the corn under foot tore up the vines and grapes being just then almost ripe and did our men inestimable damage though to themselves not one farthing's worth of service though our men were able to fight them upon all occasions yet they were in no condition to pursue them or hunt them up and down for as they were too nimble of foot for our people when they found them single so our men durst not go abroad single for fear of being surrounded with their numbers the best was they had no weapons for though they had bows they had no arrows left nor any materials to make any nor had they any edge tool among them the extremity and distress they were reduced to was great and indeed deplorable but at the same time our men were also brought to very bad circumstances by them for though their retreats were preserved yet their provision was destroyed and their harvest spoiled and what to do or which way to turn themselves they knew not the only refuge they had now was the stock of cattle they had in the valley by the cave and some little corn which grew there and the plantation of the three englishmen will atkins and his comrades were now reduced to two one of them being killed by an arrow which struck him on the side of his head just under the temple so that he never spoke more and it was very remarkable that this was the same barbarous fellow that cut the poor savage slave with his hatchet and who afterwards intended to have murdered the spaniards i looked upon their case to have been worse at this time than mine was at any time after i first discovered the grains of barley and rice and got into the manner of planting and raising my corn and my tame cattle for now they had as i may say a hundred wolves upon the island which would devour everything they could come at yet could be hardly come at themselves when they saw what their circumstances were the first thing they concluded was that they would if possible drive the savages up to the farther part of the island southwest that if any more came on shore they might not find one another then that they would daily hunt and harass them and kill as many of them as they could come at till they had reduced their number and if they could at last tame them and bring them to anything they would give them corn and teach them how to plant and live upon their daily labor in order to do this they so followed them and so terrified them with their guns that in a few days if any of them fired a gun at an indian if he did not hit him yet he would fall down for fear so dreadfully frightened were they that they kept out of sight farther and farther till at last our men followed them and almost every day killing or wounding some of them they kept up in the woods or hollow places so much that it reduced them to the utmost misery for want of food and many were afterwards found dead in the woods without any hurt absolutely starved to death when our men found this it made their hearts relent and pity moved them especially the generous-minded spaniard governor and he proposed if possible to take one of them alive and bring him to understand what they meant so far as to be able to act as interpreter 
and go among them and see if they might be brought to some conditions that might be depended upon to save their lives and do us no harm it was some while before any of them could be taken but being weak and half starved one of them was at last surprised and made a prisoner he was sullen at first and would neither eat nor drink but finding himself kindly used and victuals given to him and no violence offered him he at last grew tractable and came to himself they often brought old friday to talk to him who always told him how kind the others would be to them all that they would not only save their lives but give them part of the island to live in provided they would give satisfaction that they would keep in their own bounds and not come beyond it to injure or prejudice others and that they should have corn given to them to plant and make it grow for their bread and some bread given them for their present subsistence and old friday bade the fellow go and talk with the rest of his countrymen and see what they said to it assuring them that if they did not agree immediately they should be all destroyed the poor wretches thoroughly humbled and reduced in number to about thirty-seven closed with the proposal at the first offer and begged to have some food given them upon which twelve spaniards and two englishmen well armed with three indian slaves and old friday marched to the place where they were the three indian slaves carried them a large quantity of bread some rice boiled up to cakes and dried in the sun and three live goats and they were ordered to go to the side of a hill where they sat down ate their provisions very thankfully and were the most faithful fellows to their words that could be thought of for except when they came to beg victuals and directions they never came out of their bounds and there they lived when i came to the island and i went to see them they had taught them both to plant corn make bread breed tame goats and milk them they wanted nothing but wives in order for them soon to become a nation they were confined to a neck of land surrounded with high rocks behind them and lying plain towards the sea before them on the southeast corner of the island they had land enough and it was very good and fruitful about a mile and a half broad and three or four miles in length our men taught them to make wooden spades such as i had made for myself and gave among them twelve hatchets and three or four knives and there they lived the most subjected innocent creatures that ever were heard of after this the colony enjoyed a perfect tranquillity with respect to the savages till i came to revisit them which was about two years after not but that now and then some canoes of savages came on shore for their triumphal unnatural feasts but as they were of several nations and perhaps had never heard of those that came before or the reason of it they did not make any search or inquiry after their countrymen and if they had it would have been very hard to have found them out thus i think i have given a full account of all that happened to them till my return at least that was worth notice the indians were wonderfully civilized by them and they frequently went among them but they forbid on pain of death any one of the indians coming to them because they would not have their settlement betrayed again one thing was very remarkable viz that they taught the savages to make wicker work or baskets but they soon outdid their masters for they made abundance of ingenious things in wicker work particularly baskets sieves bird cages cupboards etc as also chairs stools beds couches being very ingenious at such work when they were once put in the way of it 
my coming was a particular relief to these people because we furnished them with knives scissors spades shovels pickaxes and all things of that kind which they could want with the help of those tools they were so very handy that they came at last to build up their huts or houses very handsomely rattling or working it up like basket-work all the way round this piece of ingenuity although it looked very odd was an exceeding good fence as well against heat as against all sorts of vermin and our men were so taken with it that they got the indians to come and do the like for them so that when i came to see the two englishmen's colonies they looked at a distance as if they all lived like bees in a hive as for will atkins who was now become a very industrious useful and sober fellow he had made himself such a tent of basket-work as i believe was never seen it was one hundred and twenty paces round on the outside as i measured by my steps the walls were as close worked as a basket in panels or squares of thirty-two in number and very strong standing about seven feet high in the middle was another not above twenty-two paces round but built stronger being octagon in its form and in the eight corners stood eight very strong posts round the top of which he laid strong pieces knit together with wooden pens from which he raised a pyramid for a handsome roof of eight rafters joined together very well though he had no nails and only a few iron spikes which he made himself too out of the old iron that i had left there indeed this fellow showed abundance of ingenuity in several things which he had no knowledge of he made him a forge with a pair of wooden bellows to blow the fire he made himself charcoal for his work and he formed out of the iron crows a middling good anvil to hammer upon in this manner he made many things but especially hooks staples and spikes bolts and hinges but to return to the house after he had pitched the roof of his innermost tent he worked it up between the rafters with basket-work so firm and thatched that over again so ingeniously with rice straw and over that a large leaf of a tree which covered the top that his house was as dry as if it had been tiled or slated he owned indeed that the savages had made the basket-work for him the outer circuit was covered as a lean-to all round this inner apartment and long rafters lay from the thirty-two angles to the top posts of the inner house being about twenty feet distant so that there was a space like a walk within the outer wicker wall and without the inner near twenty feet wide the inner place he partitioned off with the same wicker work but much fairer and divided into six apartments so that he had six rooms on a floor and out of every one of these there was a door first into the entry or coming into the main tent another door into the main tent and another door into the space or walk that was round it so that walk was also divided into six equal parts which served not only for a retreat but to store up any necessaries which the family had occasion for these six spaces not taking up the whole circumference what other apartments the outer circle had were thus ordered as soon as you were in at the door of the outer circle you had a short passage straight before you to the door of the inner house but on either side was a wicker partition and a door in it by which you went first into a large room or storehouse twenty feet wide and about thirty feet long and through that into another not quite so long so that in the outer circle were ten handsome rooms six of which were only to be come at through the apartments of the inner tent and served as closets or retiring rooms to the respective chambers of the inner circle 
and four large warehouses or barns or what you please to call them which went through one another two on either hand of the passage that led through the outer door to the inner tent such a piece of basket-work i believe was never seen in the world nor a house or tent so neatly contrived much less so built in this great beehive lived the three families that is to say will atkins and his companion the third was killed but his wife remained with three children and the other two were not at all backward to give the widow her full share of everything i mean as to their corn milk grapes etc and when they killed a kid or found a turtle on the shore so that they all lived well enough though it was true they were not so industrious as the other two as has been observed already one thing however cannot be omitted viz that as for religion i do not know that there was anything of that kind among them they often indeed put one another in mind that there was a god by the very common method of seamen swearing by his name nor were their poor ignorant savage wives much better for having been married to christians as we must call them for as they knew very little of god themselves so they were utterly incapable of entering into any discourse with their wives about a god or to talk anything to them concerning religion the utmost of all the improvement which i can say the wives had made from them was that they had taught them to speak english pretty well and most of their children who were near twenty in all were taught to speak english too from their first learning to speak though they at first spoke it in a very broken manner like their mothers none of these children were above six years old when i came thither for it was not much above seven years since they had fetched these five savage ladies over they had all children more or less the mothers were all a good sort of well-governed quiet laborious women modest and decent helpful to one another, mighty observant, and subject to their masters, I cannot call them husbands, and lacked nothing but to be well instructed in the Christian religion, and to be legally married, both of which were happily brought about afterwards by my means, or at least in consequence of my coming among them. End of chapter 5